0: This is episode 36 of Cinescope, and I know funny. I'm a clownfish. Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, Characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and returning to the show today is Melanie Sanchez to talk about one of our favorite films, Finding Nemo. Melanie, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing great, Chad. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. It's a little bit late for us, for you especially. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) But uh, I think we're talking about a movie that we both love a whole lot. So I I don't think you'll have a problem staying awake for this.
1: I specifically stayed awake for this reason because I'm really excited to talk about this movie.
0: Good, good, good. Well, for people who haven't been listening to the show as long uh, or who just don't know you, can you remind us who you are, what you do, all that kind of good stuff?
1: Yeah, sure. My name is Melanie and I am Chad's roommate and has been friends with him for quite some time. I want to say what, going on five years now?
0: Yeah, getting close to five years. Five, yeah, just about. Just
1: about five years. He is my fiancé's best friend and We quickly became friends right after we started dating. So yeah, that's a little bit about mine and Chad's relationship.
0: Yeah. So Melanie was on episode seven of the podcast to talk about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone with me. And of course, Andrew, her fiance was on to talk about how to train your dragon and Muppet Treasure Island. So I do live with both of them. They are my roommates. And it's always fun to get them onto the show because otherwise, it's just me locking myself in my room and ignoring them while I do a podcast. (laughs)
1: We figured you're not always trying to be antisocial. You're actually doing things in here. Right, right, right. I'm being productive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, before we get started into the movie, I want to remind everybody out there to go to iTunes and rate and review the show and subscribe if you use iTunes. Or even if you don't use iTunes, you can hit subscribe and then ignore it. Uh, That's a big help to the show. Gives us a big boost in our listenership and helps us to be more discoverable to other people. So if you find the time rate and review and subscribe and that would be a big help to us and while you're at it just share the show with uh friends and family so that out of the way let's move on to finding nemo are you ready melanie
1: i am ready chad
0: excellent so this movie was released on may 30th of 2003 and was directed by andrew stanton who also co-directed a bug's life directed wally john carter and the sequel to this movie finding dory which just came out last year the script was written by stanton bob peterson and david reynolds and the music is by thomas newman who also did the music for the shawshank redemption little women meet joe black american beauty the green mile lemony snicket's a series of unfortunate events cinderella man wally the help skyfall saving mr banks bridge of spies specter finding dory and most recently passengers and i've got to say that his score for finding nemo is one of my all-time favorites by him for sure the movie stars albert brooks ellen DeGeneres, alexander gould Willem Dafoe, Brad Garrett, Allison Janney, Austin Pendleton, Stephen Root, Vicki Lewis, Joe Rampt, Jeffrey Rush, Andrew Stanton, Bob Peterson, Barry Humphreys, Eric Bana, Bruce Spence, and of course, Mr. John Ratzenberger, Mr. Pixar himself. So let's dive into our first experiences with this movie. What, what is your earliest memory of this movie, Melanie?
1: So I remember going to see this movie in theaters with a childhood friend of mine and this was the first movie I was able to go see by myself with another friend. Cool. Um my my parents let me go on school trips to do movies or go with them. So this was kind of like a big moment in my adolescent time, I guess. But finding Nemo was I don't know, it was it was really cool. I had never seen anything like it before. It did the emotional all in the feels first kind of thing ever. I had never experienced that kind of emotion with a Disney movie before besides Beauty and the Beast. But that's, that's another story. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know, it was just super emotional straight out the gate with his mom. And when he feels all alone, it just it makes you super excited and really sad at the same time. So I really know it was a really great movie from beginning to end enthralled you the entire time.
0: I agree. You know, I didn't see this movie in theaters the first time it came around. I think the first time I watched the movie was on cable at my aunt and uncle's house a few years after it was out, um, which wasn't the best first viewing experience. And in fact, I I don't remember just sitting down to watch the movie either. I think I was probably walking around the house and it was just sort of on in the background. Uh, And I liked it. And I eventually did see it and sit down and watch it for real, for real. And I've always enjoyed it. So even even though my first viewing was pretty vague. I saw it over the years and it came to be one of my favorites in, in the Pixar uh, filmography. And I was able to finally see it in theaters when it came out in its 3D re-release back in 2012. So the the 3D for this film, even the the home video release, we didn't watch it in 3D tonight, but I have watched it in 3D before and it is just an, more gorgeous than the film itself <laughs> already is. It's It's just really, really well done 3D. Um, well, let's move into story. So we already talked about how beautiful the film is, uh, the animation right off the gate, you have the realism of the water, you have the realism of the movement of the fish, which if you've watched any behind the scenes kind of stuff, you know how much effort they really put into making this look as realistic underwater kind of environment as they possibly could. And I think they really succeeded in that way. And then even the the colors of the film, the, the, the bright blue of the ocean from That to the colors of the reef, uh, I think they just went all out. And up to this point, the only Pixar movies we had were the first two Toy Stories and Monsters, Inc. and A Bug's Life. So this was their first real step in a huge direction as far as bringing the colors and bringing a realistic setting to life.
1: It's really funny that you mentioned the behind the scenes um, part of this movie, because this is one of the only films that I actually did watch the entire behind the scenes part they had on the dvd as an extra and what i thought was really really cool and how dedicated these these artists are to their craft is they would go to like local fish stores i think like mr aquarium or something and any of the the fish that had died like the the seawater fish they would use them they dissect them they would look into how their bodies were made their scales the colors everything so they can get it like right down to details. I mean, that's that's dedication.
0: It is. And I remember at the time, you know, they had the movie surfers back on Disney Channel. And so I, oh, I remember, the movie yeah, I remember the movie surfers going sort of behind the scenes into the making of this movie as well. Uh, so a little blast from the past there. But yeah, I, I remember being interested in the behind the scenes, even from an early age. I was 11 years old when this first came out. And it was a few years later after that that I actually saw it, but I do remember those featurettes on the Disney Channel leading up to it. Also, as you said, this movie is heartbreaking from the start. I mean, the story itself really just grips you by the by the neck at the very beginning and just drags you in. You have this great chemistry right off the bat between Marlon and Coral. They're, they've got this fun back and forth, and they're, they're teasing each other over baby names, and Marlon wants to name all of them after him, and Coral says, you know, I like the name Nemo, and then the tr- the tragedy comes and you have this this barracuda that comes and just ruins everything they've they have found this perfect spot this perfect life for them and then the barracuda comes and takes coral away from marlin takes away all of these fish these hundreds of eggs away from him so his his family is gone and then he looks down and he finds the egg you know something i hadn't considered before this viewing was that it's called finding nemo and it begins with him finding nemo it's the only egg that's yeah. left
1: I never thought about it like that.
0: Yeah, so that adds a little bit of extra emotional depth for me, at least.
1: That's and... fine, Chad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so it, it really does start with him finding Nemo. And then at the very end of the film, when they, they're reunited, and they've just escaped the net, Nemo has helped the fish swim down. And Marlon has encouraged them with the Just Keep Swimming. And then Nemo is trapped under the net. And he has that little flashback. Marlon has that flashback of him... Holding the egg as he reaches down to comfort his son. So I, I think that's a a great way to start and finish the film with the finding of this egg because it, it comes full circle by the end.
1: One part of the story that I really did enjoy is how much they humanized these fish. I think that it was really fun to do, like the H two O intolerant. He's like playing on the lactose intolerant. I always thought that was really fun and. They're building a life together, like you said, Coral and Marlin in the beginning. They pick their home, going to the baby names. That's something that young couples do. That I mean, that's what I'm doing right now. We're deciding what we're going to do in our life. And it's just really fun that they kind of made it into this kid-friendly concept for everybody to understand a little bit better. So everybody can connect with it better, I think.
0: Yeah, even though we were talking about how hyper-realistic the fish themselves are, it doesn't take away from their human-like qualities that allow us to identify with them. So that's a good point. And then I just love the way the the sort of narrative is structured in this film. We're going back and forth between these two sets of characters. You have Marlin and Dory tackling the ocean, uh, dodging sharks, avoiding anglerfish, meeting sea turtles, and just going on this grand adventure. So it, it's a grand adventure of a film when it comes to those two characters. And then you get to Nemo and the Tank Gang, and it's all about... Uh, teamwork and learning from each other and giving yourself a chance to prove yourself. And so it's this, this back and forth between this really adventurous lifestyle and this really trying to get back to the adventurous lifestyle, essentially. And, you know, there's a perfect amount of comedy in this movie. I think it, it appeals to kids certainly, but there were moments in this film where they were obviously jokes that were geared toward kids, but I don't think there was anything truly overly juvenile in here because we were having a good time watching ourselves
1: (laughs) for sure we were one of the scenes that I did want to bring up that I really think added to the whole story which I found super amusing was any of the scenes in the dental office how true they stayed to what actual dental instruments they're using right because
0: you work in a dentist office
1: I do I'm a dental assistant so like the the Gator Glidden drill or the Schlender technique or the K-flex, all of those are actual things that people use in well, this one general dentistry, but that's neither here nor there. But I just thought it was it was really funny. My mom actually really loves this movie, and I think it's partly because of how much they bring in about the dental field. I think it's really funny. She's a dental hygienist, um, but she she enjoys this film. Every time she sees it, it's like the first time she sees it. It's just so funny.
0: I'm not positive, but I think my old dentist might have... This might have been one of the movies that they played in the front lobby or something. I think it's a popular movie because of its connection to dentistry for, for that kind of setting. <laughs> now, one more thing that I wanted to mention as far as story goes is the, the well-choreographed action scenes throughout. They're all very exciting. You've got one at the beginning where Marlon and Dory are dodging uh, Bruce through the sub. And then you have another scene where the two of them are swimming away from the anglerfish. And so these are all things I've already mentioned, but then you have the scene where they're hiding in Nigel's mouth and they're, they're on this giant chase through Sydney Harbor from these seagulls and they're dodging the, the, the sailboats and weaving back and forth. And it, the, the music is high octane. And th- there are lots of scenes like that. We we talked about the adventure. I mentioned the adventure and it really comes to fruition with these very well-choreographed action scenes that are easy to follow, but not overly simple either.
1: Completely agree. I think it keeps you enthralled from beginning to end. You just want to see what kind of mess they kind of get themselves into next. I think it's really fun.
0: Well, let's go ahead and move on to characters now. So the big one to first start talking about is Marlin. So what do you have to say about Marlin?
1: So Marlin, I think, is like the typical overprotective father and you mean he has completely right to be this protective over nemo it he out of thousands of little eggs he had one left over so you can you can definitely understand why he's kind of a little bit overbearing but you can also just not help but love him he's a very lovable very you can al- relate to him like coming from a father standpoint i'm sure so one day he he just is he's so cute
0: Yeah, he is such a father. (laughs) Bottom line, he's such a parent in general. I mean, we all have parents who are overprotective in their own way. Um, He's definitely a product of his experience in that way. He's he's this character full of deep emotions. So at the beginning of the film, before any tragedy has come to him, before he's lost his family, you can see how much he loves Coral. There's this one scene after they've talked, and she has gone back into the anemone, and he floats down, and he just has this grin on his face, like, I am so in love with you. And so even from the very start of the film, you can see how deep emotion runs in him. And then that just that goes over tenfold when the tragedy happens and everything's gone and stripped from him. And Nemo is the only thing he has. And so he approaches life in a different way because, like I said, he's a product of his experiences and he he's protective because of what he's lost. He he comes to the, the sort of ideal of no risks, no fun, no danger. Right. Even though there's certainly an element of fun in certain risks, but because he doesn't take those, he doesn't put himself in danger. So it's okay. It balances out for him. And that's not necessarily okay with Nemo as we come to find out.
1: Definitely. And I what I think is also really amusing is the one that is the most terrified of everything is the one that experienced the most adventure throughout the entire film. He's battling sharks. He gets stuck in a whale. He goes through on a ride with a pelican. I mean, all of these things you would not imagine Marlin doing, but he has to do it because his ultimate goal is to find his son. So I thought that was really cool.
0: Right. And throughout the entire adventure he goes on, he he sort of becomes a surrogate parent for Dory. So he's lost Nemo and he becomes in a way responsible for Dory because she clearly has some issues with herself and she is very much in need of somebody there to sort of look after her because of her short-term memory loss. And because he doesn't have that connection with her, that father son relationship that he has with Nemo. He's sort of able to learn from her objectively from a somewhat objective point of view, even though she isn't his daughter or his son. He, he learns from being responsible for her throughout the course of the film. He, he sees the consequences of not following her advice when she has a sort of intuition about things like swimming through the trench instead of over it. And in the same sense, in that same scene, as she sort of starts bouncing on the jellyfish's head, he realizes, yeah, this is a little bit dangerous, but you can also have fun doing it too. And so because he doesn't have that, that father-son connection like he does with Nemo, he's able to sort of step aside and look look down on himself and say, okay, I can see how this would be fun or how this, yes, is risky, but is an opportunity to trust in the person I'm accompanying. In a way, he's not blinded by his love for Nemo because, like I said, he doesn't have that same connection with Dory. Okay, now let's talk about Nemo. So Nemo sort of doubts his abilities because of this upbringing with Marlin and the, the restrictions placed upon him and these lack of chances to test or prove himself. And so when he is kidnapped and he's separated from his father, the same thing happens where where Dory becomes a surrogate child for Marlin, the tank gang becomes a surrogate family for Nemo. And he is able to have those chances, to take those chances, and to prove himself and to learn from them.
1: Yeah, I think he he has that reservation or that self-doubt a lot, besides the fact that he has his little gimpy fin. I mean, he was so sheltered and protected. So I think what they were trying to do with his character building was to show him that he could do things on his own with the support of somebody else, like you said, like the tank family that he had to show that he can do things. He's capable of doing them. He's capable of doing them correctly and taking courage and helping out. The ultimate mission was to escape the tank, right? So I think he showed growth in that.
0: Yeah, and in a way, you know, the the initial goal is to escape from the tank and to get back to the ocean. And the first time he makes this attempt, he almost fails because he's scared. He, He doesn't really know what he's going after because as far as he knows his dad's a worrywart his his dad is scared of the ocean he probably stayed at home and just is moving on with his life and so i don't think nemo has a whole lot of hope to ever meet up with his father again and so the 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 goal of reaching the ocean is something that he's still sort of afraid of because once he reaches the ocean who's he going to have Right. And so yeah. when when Nigel comes later in the film and tells him this grand story of the adventures that his father has gone on and the obstacles that he has overcome in order to reconnect with his son, that gives Nemo the hope to to fulfill the mission. And it becomes no longer escaping to the ocean. It becomes reuniting with my father. And in doing that, he he gains bravery. He gains confidence in himself and is able to complete the mission Uh, Now, whether the mission itself is a success in the end is irrelevant, but the thing that matters is that he follows through with it and is confident in himself when he does so. So he he learns that his dad is the way he is because he loves him. You know, the last thing he sort of says to him before he's kidnapped is, I hate you, dad. And I don't think I've ever said that to my family, but I think a lot of people have. And that's just sort of one of those things that you see in movies a lot of the time is I hate you to my parent. And it hits hard. I, I can only imagine what that would feel like on the opposite end. And that's sort of the, one of the reasons I've never said it, because I, I, I know I wouldn't mean it. And it becomes clear that Nemo didn't mean it in the moment. And he, he does justify himself at the end and says, Dad, I don't hate you. And so he really does come full circle in this journey of, of finding confidence in himself and in coming to accept his father the way he is, as protective as he is, and just knowing that he does it out of love.
1: I'm really glad you remembered to mention the part where he says, I hate you, dad, because I remember thinking, how did they get so much emotion on a fish's face? Like, how is that right. even possible? Because you felt for Marlin, You felt the devastation. You felt the sadness instantly. As soon as he said it, it crushed you so bad. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I'm not going to tear up. This is so silly. It's over a fish. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah, that's just another way in which we do connect with these characters. And sort of going back to Marlon, just real quick, speaking to the whole surrogate parent for Dory, that really comes that really comes to the forefront when he accidentally substitutes Dory's name for Nemo's when they're in the the, the belly of the whale, right? And he, he says, You think you can do these things, Nemo, but you can't and that's something that he said exactly to Nemo at the beginning of the film. And you you realize exactly at that moment, one, how much he's missing Nemo and how much he sees Nemo in Dory and that, that connection is strengthened in that moment. And he learns in realizing that he is connecting Dory with Nemo, he learns that he should trust Dory. And so for both of those characters, for both Marlon and Nemo, it's all about learning from their experiences away from each other to strengthen their bond when they come back together. Now what about Dory? What do you have to say about Dory, Melanie?
1: I think we have everything to say about Dory, Chad. She's just <laughs> she's my favorite. Her quirkiness, her confusion, she's so relatable and and funny. You just you can't help but love Dory.
0: I think Ellen DeGeneres was definitely an inspired choice for this character. I don't I don't know what this character would be like without Ellen DeGeneres as the voice. It, it just doesn't seem like it computes with somebody else in the voice role. And she is definitely one of Pixar's most lovable characters. And it's made more obvious by the fact we've got a sequel. We've got Finding Dory in which she is the primary character. And so it really shows that even though that was 13 years past the original film's release date, that character has stood the test of time and is something that, that is beloved by so many people. She's this endearing character, but she's she's also tragic, which is explored more in the sequel. But here we we don't know much but we do know that she's basically on her own. She's swimming around by herself in the opposite direction to all the other fish and bumps into Marlin and she doesn't have a memory. So she's, she's drifting around. She's by herself. She doesn't have anybody to help her remember. And when, when Marlin comes across her and they start traveling together, he basically anchors her to reality and anchors her memory to reality and helps her to, again, become more confident in herself. Same as Nemo. She finds somebody who, can stay with her and put faith in her and believe in her. And that connection with somebody helps her memory to, to be boosted.
1: I think she just gives that comic relief that we kind of need. I mean, throughout the entire film, there is like comedy through it, but whenever something is getting super serious, she's always the one that kind of flips it back over and makes you realize, Oh yeah, this is pretty, this is pretty funny. Um, One of my favorite scenes is whenever the submarine is coming down before actually the submarine is coming down they're sleeping in the mask one of my favorite scenes is all of her sleep talking she's yes i'm a natural blue sea monkey has my money like i say that now like just in joking i never realized how much of my jokes come from this movie and a lot of them come from dory and it, it's just it's one of my favorite things
0: yeah, she's such a pure character. She's so optimistic. There's a scene in The Whale again when the the water is lowering and Marlon says, It's already half empty. It's already half empty. And Dory says, Hmm, I was gonna say it's half full. <laughs> <laughs> says, Shut up, it's half empty.
1: And it's so annoying to him. You can you know it's super annoying to him, but you can't help but laugh at her. She's just she's hysterical.
0: Right. She is really sort of the kid's connection to this movie, I think. But because of that, that surrogate relationship that I was talking about, where Marlon sees so much of Nemo in her. We are able to, as adults, connect to her that much farther. And even beyond just adults, I think kids, yes, they laugh at Dory and they are endeared to Dory, but they they also see that connection and are able to to empathize with her in scenes like after the jellyfish, where she has this scar on herself now. And mm-hmm. even, even a scene where... Marlin basically tries to separate from her and say, I don't want you here. You're a delay fish. I like you, but I don't want to be with you. It's a complicated emotion.
1: No.
0: <laughs> yeah, but just because she is that funny character doesn't mean she doesn't have some depth to her as well. So I, I really appreciate both the character of Dory and Ellen DeGeneres' voice performance behind her. And that being said, Albert Brooks' as Marlin is fantastic. Alexander Gould as Nemo is also wonderful. The voice acting, as usual for Pixar films, is top notch all across the board. I have one more character on my list, and that character is Gil, uh, because he's he's in a lot of ways sort of the opposite of Marlon, because he yes, he cares about Nemo, but he doesn't have that father-son dynamic, just like Marlon and Dory, because they aren't father and child. They are able to learn from each other. Same thing happens with Gil and Nemo because they're not uh, father-son. Gil is able to sort of push Nemo farther than he would if he did have that connection. And it almost gets Nemo killed. He almost gets shredded inside the the water filter. And it's all because of this desire for escape that Gil has. And afterwards, we see him sort of moping in the corner uh, by himself because he realizes exactly how far he went to... He was trying to disguise it as a rescue attempt for Nemo, but it was also a largely selfish attempt because he wanted to get back to the ocean as well. And so he he comes to realize through that event that the safety of others is the priority always. No matter what end goal he wanted to achieve, he needed to put safety first. And so he learns that from this experience with Nemo.
1: You actually just hit on all the points I was going to say about Gil. The the fact that he feels the guilt for putting him in danger, the fact that he realizes how selfish he was being made him almost kind of have to be forced into that parent role that he has to start putting others first before his own wants and needs um, kind of resonates with a lot of stuff that people go through every day. It's not always about you. You always have to think of others. So Disney, there you sneaky, sneaky Disney doing <laughs> things.
0: Yeah. And you even have this scene at the end of the film when they're still in the dentist office, Marlon and Dory have just shown up inside of Nigel's mouth and nemo is being shaken by darla and we know what happens when that when she starts <laughs> shaking bags oh
1: no is belly up. that
0: that fish go belly up and they die and so in an effort to rescue nemo gill sort of in a way sacrifices himself there was no way no guarantee that he was going to walk away or swim away from the situation alive and so he he flings himself out via the volcano and lands on darla's hair and Essentially, say, well. he does save Nemo and helps him escape into the ocean through the drain. And so he, he has come full circle. And just like Marlin is so willing and able to sacri- make sacrifices and to take risks at this point in order to reach his son, Gil is, is willing to do the same thing. He's willing to put himself at risk in order to protect Nemo. Well, let's talk about the music a little bit. I mentioned at the beginning, this is actually my favorite Thomas Newman score. And it's among my favorite Pixar scores, especially. And, you know, it probably ranks up on pretty high on my favorite scores of all time. Anyways, I just love the the sort of the emulation of the ocean that you hear in this in this soundtrack. You hear the main theme, you hear the beginning of the music, and you are instantly transported into the ocean, I think. I think it, it just builds the setting so perfectly.
1: It really does. It's one of the, I feel like one of Pixar's more recognizable music themes. I can hear it and know I'm not very good like you are at recognizing movie theme, but I can do that with Finding Nemo.
0: I really love the main theme for this movie. It's called Nemo Egg. And the first time we hear it is in that moment when Marlon finds Nemo's egg. He, he reaches down, he finds the egg, he's trying to comfort it. It's clearly damaged, but it's only when he has left. And in that moment, he names him Nemo, which is what his wife wanted to name at least one of the fish that she was giving birth to. And then you hear it again later in the film after Nemo has been captured and he's in the fish tank in the dentist office. And as he's staring out the window from the fish tank, you hear the main theme again. And then you hear it again. When Nigel is telling Nemo and the rest of the Tang Gang about Marlin and Dory crossing the ocean, and in this instance it's a little bit more lively, it's a little bit more warm, it's it's less melancholy in that sense. It it's a hopeful theme at that point, and then you hear it again when Marlin is lying down inside the whale and Dory is trying to comfort him, and again when Nemo is laying under the net after rescuing the fish from the fishermen, and then one last time. I think this is all the instances. I might have missed one.
1: I'm sure you didn't.
0: (laughs) But there was one more time at the very end of the film, as Marlon and Nemo are saying goodbye as Nemo goes off for school. And you see how these characters have grown, where Nemo is open and willing to go to school. But at the same time, he, he isn't so willing to leave his dad behind. And so he comes back and he gives him a hug and says, I love you, dad. And Marlon, in his turn, is so comfortable with letting... well. Maybe not entirely comfortable, but he's a lot more comfortable than he was at the start of the film with letting Nemo go off to school without supervision from him. And I, I think it's 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 a theme that's very flexible in how it's applied to the film. And I, I love hearing all the instances in which it occurs throughout.
1: I think the similarity through the theme is that no matter what scene it was played in, it always continued to give you that feeling of hope. Mm-hmm. Through the whole film, no matter if it was the really sad scene in The Whale where he feels almost at war with himself of to believe Dory or just to stay where he is, I think even at that part, you still had a feeling of, okay, yeah, no, he's going to get through this, don't worry about it, because the mu- the music plays such a key role in doing that for you. You know that that something good has to come out of the whole thing.
0: Right, and then you also have the danger theme, which you hear when Marlon is chasing the boat after Nemo has been captured, and then you hear it again at the end of the film as the well, it starts as Marlin is swimming along with the, the other fish and then Nemo comes up behind and they're reunited. But then that's when the fishermen show up and start to capture all the fish. And so you hear that danger theme in both of those instances. Uh, another theme that you hear twice is the school theme. So you hear it at the beginning of the film when we first see actual Nemo hatched from the egg at the beginning. And then you hear it again as the, as the role is switched and Marlin is waking up Nemo at the end of the film to go to school. So there is that main theme that I really like. Then you have this friends not food theme that happens during the shark chase after Bruce is sort of uh, turned by Dory's nosebleed. <laughs> and <laughs> then there is the the real sort of surfer music esque music that you get in the EAC, which really fits the persona of of Crush the the sea turtle and by the way that's a fun character voiced by andrew stanton we didn't talk about him but i i think you and i would both agree that crush squirt all the members of the tank gang are are fun characters who build the the story in a fun way because they give you people to have fun with and to connect with but we, we just didn't talk about them as in depth as the other ones because no, i don't think they have the same amount of growth as maybe the other characters do
1: no not really
0: but anyways, I just wanted to mention that, but the music during the EAC scenes with the other turtles uh, really sort of fits the vibe, you know, crushes this real sort of surfer dude kind of character. And so the music fits well. And then one other musical moment that I did want to mention was the, the sort of heist like music that you get as Gil is explaining the escape plan and dirtying up the filter and rolling out the bags all the way to the ocean through the window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that you get. You get all kinds of music in this movie, but what it all wraps around to for me is, you know, Thomas Newman has some of the best string writing of anybody, I think. It just provides this this huge amount of warmth that you don't get from a lot of other composers. And through the strings and through that warmth, he's able to emulate the ocean so beautifully. And that's that's what I always circle back to when I listen to this score and to his sequel score to Finding Dory. It's very similar in those ways. And uh, he's just a gifted composer who I've always enjoyed. Now let's move on to the sort of relevance and themes section. So what was one of your takeaways for the movie, Melanie?
1: So I had to start thinking about that a little bit because I knew this was a question. <laughs> I had to really think about how Marlon was so afraid and what helped him kind of get over his overprotectiveness. Not completely, but just a little bit ease up on Nemo was the scene where Crush was showing him how Squirt went through the water, got out of the EAC, and then came back in. He was Marlon was freaking out. And Crush is like, no, 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 wait. Hold on. Chill out. He'll come back in. And I think at that moment it really helped Marlon realize that holding on to somebody and and sheltering them as much as he was trying to do for his son isn't always the best idea. Isn't always the best way to go about something. And that he He had to let go of his son just a little bit so that he can he can grow into the kind of fish adult he needs to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's about a belief or a trust in the abilities of the people we love and giving them those opportunities to prove themselves. Crush wouldn't have known that Squirt would be able to get back into the EAC if he didn't give him the chance to get back into the current after sort of getting pushed out in whatever way he was. And Marlin, as the film goes on, he gives Dory this chance to prove herself. Uh, We first see that as Dory is bouncing on the jellyfish's heads, like I mentioned earlier, and they use that as an escape. Even though it did go wrong, it was a scene in which he trusted Dory and learned from her and had some fun with it before things did go wrong. And then you had Dory and Marlin inside the whale. And Dory is claiming that she can speak whale. And, you know, in the sequel, we find out that she actually can speak whale for a legitimate (laughs) reason. Yes. But here we don't know that. And so we sort of just have Dory's word. And we don't know how much Dory's word is worth because she does have such a short-term memory. And we don't know how much faith to put in her. But in that moment, Marlon decides, okay, I'm going to trust Dory. And he lets go of the tongue. And they both fall to the back of the throat. And they're launched into Sydney Harbor where they needed to be. So putting faith in people. And then at the very end of the film, this all comes full circle. He has put faith in Dory, who is a surrogate child for him. And now he is reunited with Nemo. He has just gained him back after thinking he was dead in the dentist office. And Nemo wants to help these fish escape from the fishermen. And Nemo has seen a similar situation. He was, he was saved from a net in the fish tank in the dentist office by the other tank gang fish who climb in with him and swim down. And so he says, I've seen the situation before I can do this dad. And, Marlon is reluctant at first, but he says, "I know you can. Go do it." And he lets him prove himself. And so, you're right. It's all about this this giving people the trust and this belief in them so that they can believe in themselves. I've also got this idea of balancing risk and safety. So we already talked about this a little bit, so I won't go too deep, but you know, there's a scene where Marlon is explaining his woes to Dory, and he says, I promised I'd never let anything happen to him. And she she sort of scoffs at that. And she says, well, you can't never let anything happen to him. Then nothing would ever happen to him. Not much fun for little Harpo. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, he never gets his name right. But it's a learning experience for him. It's he realizes, you know, she's right. If if I shelter my son this whole time, what kind of life is he going to have? Can you really call that life? And again, some risk comes with fun. Yes, you want safety overall, but if you're practicing 100% safety and sacrificing fun at its expense, then you're never going to have a, a full life. And so again, with the jellyfish scene with the EAC going down the, the sort of swirling vortex exit, it's fun. Yeah. There's some danger to it, but it's, it's fun. So there's balancing risk and safety. And then one more that I had was learning from experience. And it's something we've also already talked about, but In that final scene, focusing on the last scene, when they are rescuing the fish from the fishermen on the boat, uh, you have Nemo telling everybody to swim down because he has experienced this. This is an exact scenario that he went through with the tank gang in the dentist office. So he is repeating that mantra to the fish that he is in the net with. And then you have Marlin, who starts Dory's chant and says, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And that is something that he learned early in the film. And so both of these characters in the same moment are are combining their experiences separate from each other in order to help these characters who need their help. And so it's about learning from their experiences. And, you know, a lesser film, I think, would have just ended with the finding of Nemo and this reunion. And that would have been it. Happy ending. Yay. And, you know, this movie does have a happy ending, but it does take that extra step. And once they're reunited, there's a scene where their lessons and their knowledge from the film is being tested and... Marlon has to take what he's learned from his experiences with Dory and say, okay, Nemo, I'm going to let you do this because I trust you and I know you can do this. And it allows that extra strengthening of the lesson from the film. So I, I really appreciate that Pixar went the extra step as they normally do and gave us a little bit more than the expected ending. I love this movie. I, I don't know if I could call it my favorite Pixar film, but it's definitely up there. But you know, Any Pixar film is pretty close to my favorite movie. So do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up, Melanie?
1: Yeah, I was actually thinking about how much Finding Nemo kind of just is incorporated into my life a lot. So you know this because you're one of my best friends. But this movie kind of helped me deal a little bit more with my insecurities and my fears about the ocean it made me want to learn more about it because if you know your fear it's not nearly as scary. I have this irrational fear for those of you who do not know me of open water and of whales. So the whale scene in particular for me has always been really really hard, but what Pixar was able to do for me was kind of give whales this not so scary presence for me anymore because he did help Marlin and Dory get all the way to Sydney, I don't think. How long do you think that would have taken them to get there on their own if he, they didn't have the whale for help?
0: It, it would have been a while. <laughs> it
1: would have been because it was too impossible, I think. So out of that whole thing, it was a really cool memory to think about.
0: Well, it's interesting to see how much this movie has stuck around in the fourteen years since it was released. Where you have just keep swimming, you have the the mind, mind, mind seagulls. You have <laughs> all these jokes from the movie that I think are repeated everywhere. I didn't keep a list while watching, but I think I could have. And it would have been a pretty substantial list of all these things that you hear people say all the time because of this movie. And it's definitely this movie where they originated. So it's pretty cool to look back and just see how influential Finding Nemo has been in the world, period, as just a piece of pop culture. But then the lessons that we walk away from it too and the the way it has helped us grow individually. So uh, definitely up there on my list. Is this one of your favorites as well, Melanie?
1: It is pretty close to being one of my favorites, for sure. Because anywhere you go, you mentioned Finding Nemo, people instantly start reciting it. They know it. They, like you said, the little jokes that they do, Escape is one of my favorite things ever. So it brings families together also. Like this is one of my family's favorite films to watch together. We actually have a funny story about watching this. And whenever we had first moved into our new house years ago, my dad got a surround system because and he wanted to try it out. So we chose Finding Nemo to watch as a family. And the the tank scene where they're doing the initiation ritual with Nemo making him shark bait actually reverberated so heavily onto my walls that it broke one of the mirrors. Like <laughs> it fell great. and crashed onto the floor. So anytime it's brought up we had to make sure we joke around like, oh make sure we take everything off the wall. Because we don't want that to happen again. No, so this is like one of my family's favorite films. We can watch it over and over again. It really never just gets doesn't get boring. I don't remember things very well, kind of like Dory, so I can recite lines from this movie, which is is a really big deal for me. And that I think just plays onto how much I really just do enjoy this film.
0: Well, I think that wraps up our conversation. This is the end of the official 36th episode of Cinescope. Thank you, Melanie, for staying awake to record this episode with me.
1: You are so welcome, Chad. I really enjoyed it.
0: Me too. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash Cinescope podcast and at Cinescope pod on Twitter. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, as well as share the episode with your friends. Email feedback and ideas to thecinescopepodcast at gmail.com. And if you're interested in co-hosting, if you have a movie that you'd like to talk about for 45 minutes plus definitely email me and let me know because I'd love to have you on the show. Now, Melanie, where can people find you online?
1: <laughs> um, you can definitely try. So I am on Facebook, but I think I'm pretty much hidden. Um, I'm on Instagram, which I'm on a lot more, at MelanieAmanda44. And very rarely am I on Twitter, but also the same Twitter handle, at MelanieAmanda44.
0: Yeah, when Andrew's been on, we basically just tell everybody, if you want to contact Andrew, contact me. And I'll, I'll take on the message. So I think those, those links that you mentioned are going to be in the show notes. But basically, neither of them have huge online presences. So
1: Not anymore.
0: No. So if you want to contact them, contacting me may just be the best place to do that. <laughs> um, now, the best place to do that is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. And on Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. All the show notes, all the contact information can be found at thecinescopepodcast.com. podcast.com, and that is all for this week. Thank you so much, Melanie, for being on the show. It's been fun having you on again.
1: Thanks, Chad. I, I really loved it. Thanks again.
0: And thank you everyone for listening to episode thirty-six. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope, and we'll be back next week with episode thirty-seven. Have fun and celebrate movies.